Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of Women in Manufacturing. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring manufacturing back to the U.S. I also run a global supply chain firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with their global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work on cases involving supply chain disputes. On these webcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences. And we're looking for insights from women that we can all learn from. Today, I'm I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Tantri Goshdal. I hope I said that right. Mm -hmm. Close. (laughs) Tanu is a well-educated and very successful woman in manufacturing, and she has a particular interest in gender equality in the workplace. So we're really excited to talk about this, this topic for women. So we'll be discussing that today. So welcome, Tanu. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. I feel very excited and uh, humbled at the same time to be here. Okay. So, Tanya, let's start off and tell us a little bit about your background. You know that you're extremely well-educated, and I'm excited to learn some more about that, and then how you ended up in manufacturing. Okay. Okay, sure. So, my background, I actually came to the U.S. for my graduate degree. So, my PhD is actually in material science and chemistry. And I did that from Cornell University, New York. How I ended up in manufacturing is really, I think by accident, because after finishing my PhD in Cornell, I was doing an internship at the Brookhaven National Laboratories. Uh, Working there, I had an offer to join there as a a research assistant. But at that time, that was 2009. So the financial institutions were crashing. And I kind of became extremely nervous. And at that time, uh, someone from Intel called me and they had received my resume a long time back and asked me to show up for an interview in Arizona. This was November and December that same year I was getting married. So I was obviously, I had interest in finding a job. Also, everything around me was looking like 2008 September is when Lehman Brothers cashed. So 2008, November, everything was looking like, you know, oh my God, what is going to happen? So I came for this interview in the flight itself. The co-passenger next to me said, well, who is hiring? Everyone seems to be firing at this point. Not very (laughs) encouraging statement to hear, but on the way to the interview, I interviewed and I didn't really think I will hear, but I was in India getting married. And one day before wedding, I got this call and I had an offer from Intel. Because of my wedding and then coming back to the U.S., I took the offer. And during the interview, the only thing I said was when they asked me what kind of job you want to do, do you have any concerns? I said the only job I don't want to do is a factory job. I have heard uh, very scary things about Intel's manufacturing and the 24-7 fab on-call culture. I have friends who who are in that, so I wouldn't like to do that. But then come October... 2009, after finishing defending my thesis, I come to Intel and I find myself in a bunny suit, in a factory floor, in a pre-ops meeting. I was extremely confused. I did not see any of the team's members who interviewed me. And I really thought that they all got fired because of the economic downturn. And I didn't ask anything for almost two weeks because I thought I felt very awkward about it. I was just grateful that I had a job 
after two weeks, a colleague told me, I said that, hey, I interviewed in the materials research team. I was just very surprised that the material research team is actually a 24-7 on-call factory job. I felt like it's more technology development and research. And the lady said to me, my colleague, that you are not working in the materials research team. You are in module engineering, process engineering in Intel. And I had no idea how that happened. So I was very distraught. I went to my manager and he told me, well, you know, my job changed and the rec we hired you for got eliminated. So I thought I'll just move your rec to this organization. All that would be fine only if they hadn't forgotten to tell me about this. <laughs> but I'm very grateful in the retrospect that I did end up in manufacturing because I do feel, and I'm hoping we'll talk about that, uh, life skills and certain kind of working skills are taught in the manufacturing like it's very hard to learn anywhere else. So if I was given the choice, I doubt I would have taken this job <laughs> based on what I knew then. But now knowing and seeing the people I have worked with, seeing their work ethics, seeing how the discipline that runs there, I'm very grateful that this accident happened to me. Can you explain a little bit more about material science also? What, what it involves, because I know it's chemistry, but it's also you know, a lot yeah. of um, sort of uh, engineering process as well, right? Material science actually really is in a way something just looks down at the molecule levels and goes, it, it became very big with the, discovery of nano, nanomaterials are going small and creating materials in much smaller forms because people realize that when they have access to that kind of small materials, they can have them do much better things. So my PhD research, for example, was in uh, making catalyst for fuel cell cars uh, through you know, molecular work, trying to synthesize, putting different metal molecules together to make metal alloys or intermetallics, that's a category, and try to see how these new new compounds believe uh, behave as catalysts, right? Material science is really study of, you know, materials and everything around you is materials. It's just studying that at a much, much broken down granular level. Yeah, so it must be, it's a very integral part of um, the design engineering process for products, I would assume. I mean, you're going to have to know what kind of materials you need, especially in like semiconductors, for example, what kind of materials you need to operate in the way you expect or the product is expected to operate. Definitely in quite a few, quite a few modules. Modules are like, you know, small blocks of processes at, as, I'm, as your audience uh, you and yourself might be familiar. But yeah, say, for example, when we are making the semiconductor chips, we have to put some kind of protectant materials between the chip and the motherboard. Now, what kind of polymer that needs to be? What are the properties right. and how do you design that? All of that is material science. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. Okay, so that was uh, the start of your development and, and your interest in particular in, in women and the way women are treated in manufacturing environments or just in the workplace in general. And you wrote a book about it as well. Yes, actually, the book that talks specifically about gender in the workplace is uh, scheduled to come out this summer. I do have another book, which is on immigration and social justice, which was published in 2018. It's called From Another Land, and it's published by a publisher called Readomania, but it's available on Amazon worldwide. So, okay. But I do write a lot in a lot of uh, newspapers and e-journals and all of that about gender in general. Uh, workplace discrimination and all of that. So it's a it's a passion area for me. 
Yeah, and a fascinating subject. And as women, uh, you know, we all experience this in one form or another. There's just no way you can you can get away from it. I was telling somebody the other day when I first started in business back in 1979. You know, I was working in uh, in logistics and and supply chain, and I was far better educated. I was smarter. <laughs> I worked harder. Um, and yet I wasn't getting promoted or getting assignments like the men around me. And, you know, it didn't occur to me at that time that it was necessarily because I was a woman or I just accepted it. I mean, it's just the way it was in the workplace, you know. And even though eventually, you know, I went up in the ranks and took on more and more responsibility, but not at nearly the pace that men would have been if they had been equally educated, equally smart and equally working as hard. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've all probably experienced it in one way or another, even if we weren't necessarily conscious of how we were being discriminated against. Yeah. So what piqued your interest in particular in gender inequality in the workplace? Do you have a story to share? Yeah. So I was always very interested in gender inequality in general. Uh, One of my big reasons for wanting to come to the U.S. was because I was very angry growing up in India of not having certain freedoms that I saw uh, men had, but women couldn't. So, for example, I wanted to study aeronautical engineering. And when I sat in the engineering exams, I did not get into the disciplines that are considered or used to be considered uh, good for women, like computer engineering and all of that. I got mechanical engineering. And my dad was, he was a He retired a GM of a very big company in India called ONGC, Oil and Natural Gas Corporation. And he himself was an electrical engineer. And he was adamant that, no, I cannot study mechanical engineering because he himself as a hiring position never hires women for mechanical engineering jobs. And his argument is something that is very hard to argue with. It's because it's like, you know, it's for the safety of the women involved. They have to go do field works in this oil fields and stuff, and they will never be able to keep that up or be successful. So it's not that I cared that much about not studying certain disciplines of engineering, but I cared a lot and I had real temper problems accepting that one half of the population has to be subjected to very different set of rules than the other, you know. And even today, like my daughter, she's seven year old. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of the gender bias is built into the way we're raised as families and, you know, how our parents feel about certain things. And it, it just it's taught to us when we're little children. And it's really hard to break out of that kind of environment to, to blossom. Yeah. And my thing was I never wanted to conform to it, but I had to. Right. So that's why I came to the U.S. But I think like, you know, without digressing too much to answer your question about getting interested in gender discrimination, particularly in workplace. After a few years in my career, I realized exactly what you were just saying. I was seeing women left and right of, this was before this huge push on diversity and inclusion and this awareness uh, before me too, this is 11, 12 years back, but I could see that women really are working as hard, but are not getting the same results and the same places that they need to be. And the reason that started bothering me is because the practical result of that was representation matters and women were not ending up in the C-suits or in the governing bodies or like in the highest roles. And my concern was that if that doesn't happen, then how will we achieve gender equality? So the workplace is a microcosm, but 
also the avenue of getting representation where it matters for women. So that got me very interested and that got me thinking a lot of self-reflection that look, am I really different? Am I really lesser? Am I really like, you know, and that was complicated by the fact, however, that I always heard that, oh, you are a technical female. So you are like, you know, a protected category and you are getting all these unfair advantages. And I used to be very surprised about exactly what is the advantage I am getting. Like, So yeah, so it's just your experiences around you makes you think about things. And that's, that's how it all started. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we've made progress over the years, I I would say from 1980, fast forward to today, um, the work environment is different and we've certainly made some progress, but it's still there. That, that discrimination and the consideration that women aren't quite as good enough or quite as smart enough, or quite, you know, just not quite right. Um, that, that it feels like that a lot, yeah, a lot of times. And, and and you know, you will hear all kind of this kind of statements. All I I remember that uh, four years back, I was talking to this uh, woman friend of mine. She has had an, like a thirty year plus career in manufacturing, and she told me that I know I'm all for women's equality, but I just don't think women are meant to be presidents. And I was like, why? And she said, well, we don't have that ruthlessness, that selfishness in us. And I was like, I have. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, it's just that, yeah. So it's just that there are a lot of things out there. And I feel that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great example because while there may be a perception we don't have that kind of ruthlessness, that's sort of the point, right? So if we want to change the world, you might need to think about it from a different perspective, not a ruthless perspective, (laughs) not a bully perspective, but, you know, one that's more reasonable and thoughtful and and considerate, right? And it's impossible to change the language in the room if you're not in the room. I hear a lot about that's why representation matters so much. How are you going to change these traits, which I don't know if this uh, the he language or this trait or the C-suit executive traits that we hear about, which are very male traits. I'm not sure there is data to show that those are the right traits or the most effective traits for those right. jobs. It's just what's out there. So unless you right. have alternative data, you know, it's impossible to make a scientific argument yeah. that this is what you need to be. And that can only come from women being very successful at all levels. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just what's out there and we need to change that perception. So and I think it, in a way it starts with communication. And uh, so I want to explore that a little bit because it has to do with the way as women we're taught to communicate and the things that we simply accept in a conversation. So and I'm sure you and I both have had experiences where we're in a meeting and men talk over us or you know, we introduce ideas and then the men pick it up and own it. And, you know, it's just, it's really, it's discouraging, you know, and, and in a way you want to jump in and, and argue with them, but in a way you don't want to do that because it makes you look like, you know, like you're a bully or you're hard to get along with. Right. So can tell us, talk a little bit about communication at work and what you would recommend in, in terms of an approach for professional women. Yeah, absolutely. But I will start that because this is very important. You know, many times when we listen to podcasts and I have done this or listen to something on the internet or see, we feel like, okay, you know, this woman, they're very successful and they're different from me. I am not like that. They don't make mistakes. They they have it all figured out. So it's not at all like that. 
we we are all equally vulnerable equally prone to mistakes we all figure it out as we go some of us have had better opportunities and better mentors and you know it's all about what you decide to prioritize and i will therefore i will start this by saying i was not very good at communicating at all in fact first time my boss gave me a raise what i told him was you just hired me and i think the salary is pretty good so i don't think i need a raise right now <laughs> and the raise was not even that much i found out later that it was much lower than the average baseline people got now what is the result of that the result of that is next two years he did not give me any raise because he formed the impression that i will be satisfied with whatever i am given now one of the things i think we we often do and women i have i don't i try to refrain from making characteristic statements based on gender but i have seen that because how the society has for a long time conditioned certain roles for women and certain roles for men men do not feel shame they almost feel like a ownership stake in being the earning member asking for more money making sure they are doing well women kind of feel like for a lot of times this is my secondary purpose in life and therefore the value you associate to yourself when it comes to workplace is not that high and they feel that you know what i'm getting work satisfaction i have a good life and you know it's okay if i got some, got less money for this now there is nothing wrong in feeling that i don't want to prioritize work at this point in my life or i am satisfied with where i am at and i don't really want to be the vp of the company i have some opinions on this in terms of at still women needing to work but i will not digress here on that but the point is you should never undervalue yourself you should convince yourself of your own value from a realistic viewpoint and that is the baseline of all communications you will end up having that is the baseline of how confident you will feel when you are speaking out in a meeting that will guide that you are not being a boastful or a bully but you are not being stepped over either so that's that's the starting work yeah well you know one of the things that i've learned in, having been in consulting for 25 years um you know in, in management consulting you're almost always dealing with the senior executive level um and then the work is done at a lower level in an organization but when you're talking to senior executives one of the the tips and tricks that i would say i've learned over time is to really be a good questioner So to think a lot about the questions that I'll ask before I go into a meeting I always take time and prepare in that way so I'm asking thoughtful questions that are going to lead me to the answers that I'm looking for and I think in dealing with men it's you know that skill has really helped me as well and because instead of sort of arguing or trying to put my point get my point in there or say oh no it should be this way if you ask questions and ask them to explore the reasons why they're they're putting forth this opinion and what the background is to that and what evidence do they have and all of a sudden you know i think the conversation shifts to being much more equal because you come at it from a place of knowledge and a, a place of interest and people start talking then and they're not so reluctant to stay on their position and just fight to protect that position it it opens the dialogue in a different way than you would normally see so i think you know that's a very important skill that i think um i've been able to develop over time but i think a lot of women miss that so instead of just fighting for their position they should be questioning yeah and i think i was just going to in the second part of my answer i was going to give actually a very similar tip but i will i will start with 
you know, the, the point that I want to give, the first tip I want to give in terms of how to make sure you are con- confident about your value and how to, how to go about asking the right questions. One thing women are often made to feel is that they don't belong in the room. And that happens through implicit bias and explicit bias. That happens in many different ways. People do this consciously and unconsciously. Now, my opinion on this is to solve this is the onus on me. First of all, it's their problem if they don't think I belong in the room. I have done nothing wrong. There is no shortcoming of me for them thinking that. That being said, it's my responsibility to convince myself that I belong in the room. I cannot wait for the world to suddenly come to their senses and give everyone an equal space in the room. So that's the first point. And then the second thing is all of this, unfortunately, because of the conditioning the woman has been under and still the high amount of caregiving, high amount of home pressures that a lot of women have to take up much more than the men, all this has to be built in through practice, baby steps. And sometimes you will feel afraid, but I have consciously forced myself to do what exactly you have done. I realized that coming from my culture, selling myself is not something I'll be able to do as the first step. I will not be able to, even if I'm 100% sure this is the answer, I will not be able to stand up and thump my chest and say that this is the answer. That's not who I am. And if that's not who I am. Even uh, though you know that that's the answer. (laughs) Exactly. I will not be successful doing that because if that's not who I am. Yeah people will find me out. Like, you know, they will sense the nervousness in me. So what I tried to do instead is exactly what you said. I tried to make sure how I place my point in a way of asking for feedback and then slowly build up upon that. And through this practice, make myself someone that, you know what, in the end, I was seeking feedback on this. However, these were my arguments that I were going to place. And as you can see from your feedback, I was right, right? So this kind of things that we build in in terms of practicing. Yeah, and I think, you know, there are a lot of cases where I may have an opinion going into a conversation, but, you know, after questions and answers and going back and forth, I may even change my opinion. And it's it's not necessarily trying to manipulate anything. It's just a better, higher form of communication. When you approach it with an open mind and a questioning attitude, Um, to come to some realization. I think, you know, the other thing is when you ask informed questions, you build a reputation for being somebody of authority who asks good questions, like a reporter on TV, right? That builds credibility because of that questioning ability. So I had a a boss, a, a man, actually, that I came to really respect in a consulting firm that I worked for called AnswerThink. And he used to say, you have to ask the Jedi questions. So in in Star Wars, the Jedi asked two questions to get to the answer, right? So even though some people will, you know, write 20 questions, they still don't get to the answer. You really have to think through it and ask those specific questions that are going to get to your goal. And that's why it's a skill that you have to learn, you know, over time and really think through in order to, to get where you're trying to, whether it's men or women or high level or low level or anywhere. It's that questioning that I think helps people feel good about you and communicate with you. Absolutely. And I can't believe that, you know, um, last hour I was actually in a panel. Today ended up being the day that I, I am in events. And there, this was an empowering woman panel by an organization here in Arizona. And a very senior director from UPS said there that how she got to where she was at first was just asking questions in the open hand meetings, asking them with a lot of dignity, not seeming boastful, but still asking 
really good questions. And people started noticing and started assuming that she's someone who has uh, thought processes straight in, like, you know, so cannot underestimate the value of that. Yeah, and, I yeah. Think it, it lifts everybody up in the conversation. Everybody. Yep. yep. And the other thing I wanted to add, I also feel, and again, I don't mean to make a generalized statement, but I have seen, uh, I mentor a lot of women and I have seen that we women tend to get a little bit more emotional about feedbacks. And that's necessarily not necessarily a bad thing. I was told by female senior uh, person in my company who I sought out as a mentor is like, you can never cry in a meeting. If you can, if you cry in a meeting, you can never recover from that. And I have cried in many meetings. I have been in many one-on-one meetings where certain things were said, or I just became very passionate about things in early days of my career where I could sense like tears rolling down my eyes. And what I learned or I told myself is that, look, it's okay to do certain things that are considered not normal. Maybe one day they will be, maybe one day they will be seen as real human interactions and passion. I understand that today is not the day there yet, but I'm not going to beat myself up for being emotional, being passionate. What I will do instead is I will slowly learn to manage my emotion better. And I, you know, that comes with time also. Absolutely. Yeah. I felt way more emotional when I was in my twenties and now, you know, if I get criticized in meeting, whatever, I just, it just, yeah. Right. And what I have seen is I learned this looking at my husband. I will come back from a work meeting Someone has said something to me, which might have been valid feedback, but I cannot get that thought out of my head. And he's sitting on the couch watching a game. And I'm like, how was your work day? And he was like, oh, you know, their VP or whoever shouted at him in a meeting. And I was like, oh, are you upset? And he would say something like, why would I be? And (laughs) I would have a conversation with him. And I realized that he just shuts it out. It doesn't have any baggage for him. He just takes the fact out of it. Now, My husband is someone who is extremely factual. That is not a gender issue. It's just a personality. But I think we can all learn from that. When we get feedback at work, I think we have to actively work over time, specifically as women, to separate ourselves out of it and just look at the work issue that's being discussed there. Yeah, and understand why why the other party got upset or you know why yep. were they yelling at you? What what triggered that? And you know, yep. really picking it apart and evaluating it instead of simply reacting. Yeah. Yep. And his getting upset and yelling at you is his emotional management problem. That's not that's not yours. So, you know, slowly I learned over time that getting upset over that and take carrying that as a baggage on me that I am lesser for that somehow and being afraid to speak less next time because of that. It's not a very smart tactic. Yeah. You know? yeah. so, so those are some tips on communication. Uh, yeah. Kanu, how can we support other women, our colleagues and women coming up in the business world to be successful? And, you know, we over time, I think, become leaders, but also in the interim, we should be colleagues that are supporting one another as well. You know, first of all, you know, I cannot overstress the importance of supporting other women. We have it still quite hard and there is no way, irrespective of color, caste, creed, religion, nationality, we will be doing any good to our gender if we don't build up other women, you know. So I try to force myself. Sometimes even when I get mad, and I get mad at man, men and women, uh, you know, I'm not very gender biased that way. I try to force myself to remember that I will take the emotion out of the situation and my goal is to make sure whether this person is a direct reportee of me or this person is a colleague, her success doesn't get impacted because of my behavior in any ways. 
and because it's immensely important for all the problems we have in the world there are reports after reports on it to have women successful empowered and empowered and thriving in the work and in the society mm-hmm. now how do we do that so there are quite a few things right first of all if women come to you for mentorship always offer that make time for that no matter one of the con- concerns i had in very early days of my career was there were very senior women they were obviously understandably very busy and they were not being able to find time to mentor women even more important than mentoring women is sponsor women take someone under your wing who you see potentialing and bring them up with you all around you support each other in the workplace and sometimes this support especially in manufacturing doesn't even need to be something like you know pulling each other up it's pulling each other up in terms of finding a job for the other person finding an opportunity for other person it is as simple as understanding where he, she is coming from understanding that she might be different from who you are this is a lesson one of the best bosses i had taught me is that you know i see your passion for bringing up women but don't forget to ask if that's what they want you know so understand that don't judge understand that because if you try to convince people of something they are not convinced of you are actually going to drive them away but if you open up some space for conversation with women regularly at your workplace building up from small ways from covering from them to making sure that you do everything in our in your power to make sure that they don't quit and slowly if we can have more women like you that way we will end up having a band of women thriving at work great awesome all right well tanner thank you it's been fascinating really really appreciate it can you give us your contact information if uh, somebody wants to reach out to you absolutely so i have a website which is easy to remember it's called thoughts and rights so that's you can probably i talked a lot about human rights gender rights so rights and i think too much so thinking is also important so thoughts and rights it's thoughtsandrights.com and if you go there there is a contact me button which has a email address and i do check it regularly and then of course my first name followed by actually this will be very hard but tanu ghosh dhal which is my first four letters of my name then ghosh and then dhal at gmail is a email i also check almost daily email is probably the best way to reach out to me because of the writing and the social work i do i am i have to post a lot in social media so i have a twitter handle thoughts and rights but you know i am still of a little bit of older generation where i still am not as frequent in going back and checking social media notifications but if you do tweet in response to something or people have messaged me on social media and just said hey how can i contact you i want to volunteer for a nonprofit or something that works too but email is the best and uh, if you go to my website thoughtsandrights.com you will find my email and that's the best way great thank you well thank you for joining us today really appreciate it and for the audience you can listen to more of our webcasts on women and manufacturing website which is www.women w o m e n a n d mfg so women and mfg.com and you can reach me rosemary coats at r coats r c o a t e s at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website www.reshoringinstitute.org where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in america and thanks again tanu Have Thank you. Day. Thank you Rosemary. It was a pleasure. You have a nice day. You too. 
Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>